This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mammoliti. Is brewing pretty forgiving? Very much so. It that is? is a, that okay. is a good question because a lot of people considering it are like, oh, I don't think I have the skill or the knowledge to do that. And the answer is, shut up. Yes, you do. If you want to brew an interesting and flavorful beer, the world is your oyster. The best beer I ever brewed was a cranberry stout. And it was a relatively straight up stout recipe. But into the boil, I just added a cup of cranberries. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and this is the Kitchen Confession Podcast. We've been chatting with some taste experts to learn more about developing our palates. Today, we're talking to Lance Johnson, beer enthusiast and epic home brewer. Hey, Lance, how are you? Wonderful. How are you? I'm honored you called me a taste expert. You are, and I'm so happy you're here because honestly, today we're talking about beer and brewing your own beer. I drink beer. Um, I've tasted beer, but I don't make it. I don't know enough about it, and I'm hoping after today, I can maybe get an idea of what goes into we can at least accomplish that. <laughs> yeah, because I, w- I was going to say I'll brew my own, but I don't think that's going to happen. Well, you might be surprised. <laughs> what is it about beer um, that you love so much that, that made you want to get into brewing your own? Beer is like art. And, you know, if you think of in a gallery, there's this beautiful thing hanging on the wall in beer the malt is like the canvas, the hops are like the paint, the yeast is like the lights in the gallery shining on this artwork. And all these items come together to create this most magical experience when you're standing there experiencing the art under all these conditions. It's the same as when you raise that glass to your mouth and drink your beer. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's so much potential and so many places you can take it it's just magic okay now this is early in the morning it's what just after 10 and now i want a beer um i in fact <laughs> i that poured a beer just for this because that's awesome you can't do anything talking about beer without drinking beer you know you know what i should have thought of that yeah next time next time we're gonna have to regroup you're clearly <laughs> too new at this yeah <laughs> I'm a brew rookie. Yeah. Well, okay. So tell me a little bit about what led you down the road to brewing your own. Well, um, I've always been one to try things on my own. Like in the kitchen, I'm not afraid to try anything at least once. So I guess it was with that idea in mind years ago, my brother gave me a one gallon brew kit for Christmas, which contained everything required to brew a gallon of beer, which is just about as much trouble as if you were to brew five gallons. And anyway, I did it. Everything went wrong. It was a big disaster. But in the end, I got 12 bottles of beer that were certainly drinkable. And uh, it just rolled from there. A while after I started on my own, a friend was drinking my beer enough and he thought it was good enough and he's like hey i want to do this too so now he brews in my brewery in between us we've brewed 99 brews 
And the next one we do will be our hundredth brew. You're kidding. No. That's fantastic. Yeah. This may seem like an odd question because I really don't know. So when you're making that home kit, is it alcohol? Is it alcoholic or is it, how does it get to that point? Well, to answer that question properly, we should probably do a quick overview of the whole brewing process. And then that will answer all of our worldly questions. What you do is you take, there's four main ingredients, water, malt, hops, and yeast. So in the beginning, you take the malt and combine it with water at a certain temperature, which allows enzymes in the malt to convert the starch to sugar. And then you take that sugary water solution and boil it for about an hour, adding hops. And hops' primary purpose is for preservation and flavor. So during that hour, you're adding hops at specific intervals. They're doing their magic in there. And then when it's done the boil, you cool it down, put it in a fermenter, add the yeast to it. Then over the course of about two weeks, the yeast goes ahead and eats all that sugar up and converts it to alcohol. And then when it's done, which is roughly two weeks later for a regular ale, you package it, either bottle it or put it in a keg. And at several points along the way, you measure the specific gravity, which is how much sugar is in the whatever you call it at that stage, the wort, the whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you do math on those numbers and it tells you pretty accurately how much alcohol is in it. So if you're a good home brewer, you can nail your alcohol. Say I want a 5% beer, I can brew a 5% beer. Now, is there a limit that you can brew for home brewing? Not according to the laws, the governmental laws, the laws of, mm-hmm. the laws of physics kind of get in your way. So there are, there's kind of a practical upper limit, but Nobody ever bothers to get there because it's probably 15, 16, 17%. Mm-hmm. And unless you're brewing like a barley wine, nobody wants that much alcohol in their beer anyway. Okay. So the more alcohol you want, the more difficult the process becomes. But certainly 5, 6, and 7% are easy to achieve. And the average for a beer is about 5%. Is about 5 Canada. Okay. Yeah. Do you grow your own hops? I did this year. And I just packaged a beer a week ago that I brewed. I literally started brewing while the mash was mashing. I picked the hops off my hop vines and then threw them in the boil 20 minutes later. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's backtrack. Hops are on hop vines. Yeah. So it's a plant. Yes. It's a big gnarly plant that would try and take over your whole garden if you gave it the opportunity. Oh, so it's like a weed. If you're lucky, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there is obviously um, a little TLC that goes into it to actually grow your hop plant. Well, in my case, I'm not very good at TLCing anything. <laughs> so, you know, friends came over and said, How are your hops going to grow in that disaster? And I'm like, Honey, Anything around here needs to learn to fend for itself. (laughs) And uh, under that 
whatever. <laughs> my, my hops did grow. They generally take a few years to establish a good root structure. Okay. And this was their second year. Last year they grew but produced no fruit. This year they produced not enough fruit mm -hmm. to make a proper beer, but that's okay. I brewed a beer with all the hops I had. We'll see what comes out of it. So I know I'm stuck on these hops because I really did not know that it was a plant. Yeah. So getting a, a hops plant, is it something that you walk into like your local plant world and say, hey, can I get a hops plant? Is that is that such a thing or is it a specific gardens or you do kind of know a friend who gives you a little leaf or something? <laughs> That would own. be cool. And that <laughs> will come to be more. And there may be a day that you can walk into a store in a regular garden center and buy a hop. But yeah. in today's world, you typically pre-order them through your home brew shop. Oh. And they come as a rhizome and wrapped in a paper towel and a plastic bag. Okay. So the idea is in about January, you put in your order. And then around April, May, they ring you up and say, your hops are in, sir. And then you go pick up this little bag and ideally stick it in the ground straight away. And is this an all year round plant or no? It's a perennial. So okay. once you bother to spend the $9 to buy it, mm -hmm. you are then in hops for the rest of your life, hopefully. <laughs> Perfect. Does it change the flavor? Absolutely. Yeah. Part of the magic of beer, like when you've said about brewing wine, the primary thing that makes wine delicious is the quality of the grape juice you start with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where with beer, the primary thing that makes beer delicious is the quality and variety of malt, the variety of hops, and the style of yeast, and the quality of water. So you get like these four parameters that you can adjust versus with wine, there's technically one major one. And there's always like fermentation temperature and all these other smaller, less important things that have a fairly major impact. But it's all about the ingredients. And with beer, there's three or four, if you count water as an adjustable ingredient. So depending on the hops you use can change a beer entirely. Let's talk about malts for a little bit. Okay. Malt is typically barley and often wheat and rye and any other type of grain you could imagine. But barley is the primary and popular one. So when you take a kernel of barley off the plant, you then have to take it and soak it in water to get it to start germinating. And then you pull it out of the water and you dry it off. And what that does is it activates the enzymes. So now when you add your crushed malt to water, the enzymes are in there and they're active and they start converting the starch to sugar, as I said earlier. And they're like, oh boy, we're going to get to grow. But really, it's like, no, you are going in my belly. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's the one thing you do. The next thing you do to change the flavor and get a world of options is to take the malted barley and roast it or toast it or smoke it or do whatever you want to it. Typically, a darker beer will have more roasted and toasted malts than a lighter beer. And you could do barley, 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 and barley, but 
you know, if part of it's a chocolate malt, which is really just a malt roasted to a chocolatey color and various other dark malts, put them in your grain bill, you'll get a dark beer. If you don't put dark stuff in your grain bill, you get a lighter beer. How about telling me a little bit about your setup? I'm lucky in that I happen to have a house that had a basement apartment Mm -hmm. and a walkout apartment. During the boiling of the beer, you're boiling off like a gallon-ish of water per hour. So you don't really want to do that indoors or you're going to make your house go all crooked because of the humidity. Right, right. So a lot of people choose to use a propane burner outside in like a 7 to 10 gallon giant pot. Yeah, well, that's how we boil our uh, tomatoes once we can them, our tomato sauce. You know, I bet (laughs) half the home brewers in the world have either used your Italian tomato sauce setup. Yes. (laughs) Or else a turkey deep fryer. Oh, okay. And in fact, when I was getting going and realizing, you know what, let's take this to the five gallon scale. I just went to home hardware and bought a turkey fryer. So I had a huge pot and a propane burner. And then during the mashing phase, most home brewers are using a cooler. So there's math you can do that says bring your water temperature to 170 degrees and then combine it with your malt and in a cooler. And by the time everything evens out temperature-wise, you end up at the exact temperature you wanted. You put the lid on the cooler and you walk away for an hour. So a cooler, a turkey fryer, and a glass fermenter that you can buy in any wine shop. Mm -hmm. That's the worst of it. Once you've brewed your beer, you get the choice, do I want to bottle it or do I want to put it in a keg? Years ago, home brewers, or years before that, Coke and Pepsi used to ship their pop in five-gallon kegs. Yes, I remember that. Back when pop was delicious. <laughs> and, and then they realized, wait a minute, if we ship a syrup, we'll save a lot of money because water in Canada, mm-hmm. water is everywhere. So let's just ship this gross syrup and then blend it as it's dispensing out the tap and we'll call that pop. Right. So now there's an abundance of five-gallon kegs left over in the world. Home brewers generally are lazy, I think. So we... <laughs> Bottling beer is complicated and annoying, so you save that for special beers. And most of us use kegs. Lots of people convert a freezer into holding kegs and call it a keezer. If you're all moneyed up, you can go buy a proper kegerator Mm -hmm. or whatever you like to dispense your beer. Now, I had little Birdie tell me something about you have a raspberry pie powered beer display. Yeah. What is that? Um, The trouble is I've got these three nondescript taps sticking out of my kitchen counter and friends have given me awesome tap handles so it looks all pretty, Mm -hmm. but each tap handle is a branded beer, but that doesn't represent the beer that I've got on tap because I brew everything, not the same three beers all the time. A raspberry pie is a credit card sized computer that they advertise you can buy for $35. Okay. And some 
guy made a program for that so that you hang a monitor on the wall, you're on a Raspberry Pi somewhere near the monitor. And it's like a database of sorts, and you enter your beers that you've brewed in this database and then select which ones are displayed on the display. So it has a little description of each beer, tells you how much alcohol it is, how hoppy it is. Really? And then when, if I bother to update the thing, which I usually do if friends are coming over, then you turn that on and they're like, Gee, Lance, what beers do you have on top today? And I'm like, well, my friend, let me just turn on this here monitor and you can see for yourself. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, we're chatting with a few taste experts to learn how to develop our palates. Are there any additives in, in brewed beer, in brewing beer? There can be. There's an interesting commercial on the radio by Steam Whistle, I believe, says, mm -hmm. we don't add any artificial flavor enhancers, foam enhancers, preservatives, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And that's because Steam Whistle focuses on doing one thing really, really well, and they make great beer, some of the best beer going. But they make a real beer. And if you take the world which is a million shades of gray and split it into black and white. There's two kinds of beer drinkers. Those that I don't know why they do it, but we'll just say those that drink Coors Light, Bud Light, etc. Mm -hmm. There's the other type of beer drinkers such as you and I and a lot of other people that enjoy interesting and flavorful beers. So if you want to brew an interesting and flavorful beer, the world is your oyster. If you want to brew something as refined, shall we say, and straightforward possibly as Coors Light, you have to do things differently. It's not very flavorful. It's not very hoppy. So in order to make up for the lack of preserving hops, you might need to add a preservative to it because you don't want a lot of flavor, you have to use sugar instead of pure malt. So you, you know, throw some of the malt off the grain bill and add some sugar in there. And because there's not enough malt to make a properly heady beer, you might need to add some foam enhancers into it too. I made all that up in my own mind, so let's not condemn Coors Light for being bad beer or whatever, but that's the way I see it from my experience, and other people are saying we don't add this stuff to it, so I suspect in some cases that that is added to it for the sake of preserving it, maintaining flavor, making it a nice heady beer. It's all food-grade stuff. It's not necessarily bad. No, and like it's, with anything, when you're mass producing. Yeah, it's like... You need a preservative. Eating, you're eating the lasagna out of the aluminum tray that you bought in the freezer section versus you're eating the lasagna that you made yourself. Right. Same thing, only different. Is brewing... Now that we're talking about this, because I don't even think this is actually a good question. Is brewing pretty forgiving? <laughs> Very much so. It that is? is a, okay. That is a good question, because a lot of people considering it are like, oh, I don't think I have the skill or the knowledge to do that. And the answer is, shut up. Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. Like I say, the first one I ever brewed was delicious. 
in 99 brews, I think my friend and I have maybe poured three down the drain. So you can screw it up. But my theory is as long as you approach it with care and love and do everything reasonably possible to get a good brew, Mm -hmm. you will. So I guess it's fair to say that if you're brewing your own, it's to keep an open mind and to actually use your creativity with it. Absolutely. I read somewhere a recipe is like a flowing river and that it's never the same from one minute to the next. Oh, I like that. Yes. I have a hard time duplicating a beer because of my willy-nilly attitude. But do you really want to duplicate something or just create your own? That's exactly the question that we all need to ask ourselves. My friend who brews with me is pretty hardcore and likes to duplicate things. And he's a lot more by the book and by the numbers. And I'm a lot more passionate about it, sort of. Not that he's not passionate, but I I'm more willy-nilly is another way to put it. Or you get more creative with it. Yeah. So rarely do I ever care to actually duplicate a thing. And in all the brews I've brewed, I've maybe made the same thing five different times. Oh, so then this question is perfect for you. Have you ever brewed a beer and you've added any unique additions to it? Chocolate, um, a floral or a fruit? Oh, the best beer I ever brewed. And I... I've brewed it twice now and both times it was different, but it was both times the best brew I've ever beer I've ever brewed mm-hmm. was a cranberry stout. And it was a relatively straight up stout recipe, but into the boil I just added a cup of cranberries. And that they're kind of, so good. Yeah, they're kind of a magical fruit because not in that sense, but <laughs> kind of a magical fruit because they're so starchy. <laughs> and starch and beer kind of go hand in hand and you boil them in there and they give their delicious cranberry flavor but also the starch comes out and really adds to the body of the beer mm-hmm. so it it creates this something that's really unique and special do you really get that cranberry taste depending how many you put in it the first time i used a cup the second time i used i think a cup and a quarter and As they say in the brewing industry, discretion is the better part of flavor. So rarely do you want your flavor additives to be the primary flavor in the beer. Yeah, you just want that hint of it. Exactly. And I would say a cup in five gallons made just that nice hint of it, but also beefed up the body and helped in that respect. When I used a cup and a quarter, It was maybe a little bit too much. I forget now, to be honest. I'll probably have to brew it again and find out. Well, I mean, you just gave me the perfect segue in terms of using magical. um, Because with the legalization of marijuana that's that's quickly approaching us, is that something that a home brewer would add or even attempt to? Like, have you ever heard of that? There are two ways you could add it. One way would be to give a weedy flavor. Another way would be to make it magic beer. And because we've had other parts of the world beating us to the legalization, you can Google how to make magic beer, and it's not super straightforward. It's really called magic beer. Well, that's what I'm calling it today. (laughs) (laughs) Call it whatever you like. But um, 
it can be done. Other, I think there are even breweries out west that are doing it. Really? And I've looked into it, but I honestly forget because it's a little bit complicated. But it's definitely something I would like to try. The other option is you could just throw weed in the boil and it would flavor it much the same way that hops flavor it. In fact, hops and cannabis are somehow related. Mm -hmm. Somewhere go up the family tree, they share a similar grandparent or something. Okay, okay. What about smell? Does smell play a role in developing beer? At all? hmm. Smell plays a large role in the consumption of beer. It's kind of like pardon my saying this, but you eat with your eyeballs first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with beer, you still drink with your eyeballs first, but then you drink with your nose second. And one of the things that I thoroughly enjoy about Steam Whistle, and you really only get it straight out of the bottle, but you crack the cap and bring it to your mouth, and there's this really hoppy, skunky, in a good way, hoppy nose to the beer and I really love that and for all my attempt to duplicate it I haven't been able to but then later I learned that that you really only get that when you're drinking the steam whistle out of the bottle if you pour it into a glass that sort of dissipates but there's this whole field of study and creation of glassware surrounding the smell of your beer and how best to direct that into your nose. And there are companies like Spiegelau that are making these most amazing crystal glasses to drink your beer out of. And they sell a kit of four different ones for big Belgian beers, wheat beers, lagers. There's definitely a lot of energy that goes into how can we direct the wonderful smell of this beer into your nose as you're drinking it so that you can thoroughly enjoy the whole experience. A lot of the smell of beer comes from the hops primarily Mm -hmm. and sort of secondarily potentially the yeast. When you're designing a beer, you totally sort of consider the smell factor of the hops because that sort of a front of the tongue immediate flavor Mm -hmm. is partly the smell and then there's that what I consider back of the tongue and more lingering hoppy flavor so you can choose your hops specifically to create front and back early smell later bittery flavors and all that sort of fun stuff Have you ever cooked something using beer? Yes, in fact, I have. Um, (laughs) I once brewed a beer that didn't turn out quite the way I wanted it. It was supposed to be a good stout, but, you know, we all face challenges in life and the end of this beer, it didn't taste that good. So I kegged it up and wondered what to do with it, decided I'll put it on tap and just cook everything with beer because it was certainly good enough, but just not great. Mm Mm-hmm. So mushroom soup with stout, or I can't even remember everything I did with it now, but it can certainly be an enhancement to many things. I always ask my guests, do you have a kitchen confession that you can share with me? 
I feel like it was the first brew that my brewing friend came on board for that I was brewing and he was learning and watching the process. And I had this skunky old sponge that lived in the kitchen sink downstairs that I just used to like polish the outside of pots and things. Mm-hmm. And it was all brown and black from the propane goo on the bottom of the pot. <laughs> kind of disgusting. It was sitting on the counter, I believe. And then I set the lid for the brew pot, just set it on the counter, not thinking. And then my friend's like, oh, we should put the lid on that pot while we're bringing it up to a boil, right? And I'm like, why, what a wonderful idea. The sponge stuck to the lid. (laughs) He picked it up, put it on the pot. And later, later, I lift the lid because it's coming to a boil and there's this skunky old sponge floating in there. And I'm like, where did this come from? What are you doing? I thought he sabotaged my beer. But then later we put two and two together. Greasy sponge stuck to bottom of lid. Oh, no. Beer tasted fine in the end. No big deal. No, I take it that. No, I shouldn't even assume. But did that all go down the drain after? But. No, be- <laughs> did that before it was boiling. So it had an hour of boil. So if there were any bacteria on the sponge, they were long dead. Oh my god! Uh, it was. A, Is that like a, a five-second rule? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it was a big dark beer anyway. So if there were minor off flavors, you would have never noticed. <laughs> That's hilarious. Perfect. What are you drinking right now? I am drinking my Guinness clone, if you will. Dark-ish colored, but lightish flavored. And as you research stuff, you realize Canadian Guinness tastes a lot different than Irish Guinness. And I thought, well, I'd rather brew more like an Irish Guinness. I don't even know what that tastes like. But the internet helps you figure out a recipe. And I brewed something and I'm drinking it now and it's delicious. But if you put it head to head with a can of Canadian Guinness, it's different. You can even use that to make bread. Absolutely. When you're done the mashing process, you get all these what we call spent grains and it's husks and shells and a bit of the insides of the grain left. You can Mm -hmm. take that and put it in bread. And I've done that many times and we call it spent grain bread. It just adds a little more fiber and interest to your loaf of bread. Spent grain bread. Mm, yeah. That sounds good. Thank you so much. This has been You're a lot welcome. of fun. It's my pleasure. Next time we have to get together and have a glass of beer. Absolutely. None of this over the internet <laughs> stuff. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mamaliti. See you at the next episode. 